Dirt Radio. Organic. Friends of the Earth. Activism. Underground. Political action. Necessary. Wind farms. Indigenous struggles. Land rights. Anti-nuclear. Nanotechnology. Climate change. Coal barons. Mining magnates. Activists. Educating. Communities. Transforming. Communities. Mobilising a sustainable planet. Get involved now. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. Good morning and welcome to Dirt Radio, Friends of the Earth's Melbourne's weekly program on 3CR. Before I start the show, I'd like to acknowledge that we're coming to you live from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations and to pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge, and acknowledge that sovereignty of these lands has never been ceded. My name is Megan Williams and co-hosting today is M. Gafer. How are you going today? I'm good. And a uh, big thanks to you for doing a bunch of Dirt Radios over the last month while Phil and I have been off, uh, you know, busy with our own interests. Oh, it's a pleasure. You guys can retire now if you like. <laughs> I'll take over. You've got it covered. <laughs> and so this year on Dirt Radio, we're going to try something a little bit different Over the course of the year, we want to make a series that shares and explores the values and philosophies practiced at Friends of the Earth through our campaigning. At FOE, we pride ourselves on practicing community-led campaigning where we centre community voices with a mind frame that values social justice and as an essential ingredient to achieving environmental justice. Last year, we brought you a special radio series looking into the history of Friends of the Earth's 45 years of creative resistance, where we connected with people behind the campaigns over Foe's history. A central theme to emerge through almost every show was the importance of relationship building and investing and embedding ourselves within the grassroots communities on the front lines of environmental struggles. And just a reminder that you can stream all of those episodes at 3cr.org.au slash acting up. But this year, to build on what we uncovered in that series, we're going to bring you a series that goes deeper into our values and the concepts we use to practice decentralised organising. The plan is that once a month we'll bring you one of these special shows and over the course of the year we will create a resource that you can use within your communities to strengthen your organising. And to kick us off today, we are talking about the rhizome. Now, that word rhizome, it might not mean much to you just yet, but inside Friends of the Earth Spaces, we like to envision ourselves and our work within grassroots communities using this model. So if you've been kicking around listening to Dirt Radio for a while, or you might be a campaigner yourself or pretty embedded in the environment movement, you might know this concept already. But how we describe it was developed and refined over the Colin Gas Free Vic campaign. That did eventually lead to the awesome outcome of fracking being outlawed in the state of Victoria. So that campaign is one of our proudest wins uh, of recent years at Friends of the Earth. And we couldn't have done it without numerous communities across Victoria who got on board. So in the studio to talk to us about it today is our wonderful co-host, Phil Evans, going to be flipping the mic and uh, having him as an interview guest So we'll be getting stuck into it right after this community service announcement. The federal government has just announced plans for a radioactive waste dump in Kimba on Bangala country. BHP is expanding the Olympic Dam uranium mine. Now is the time to join the radioactive resistance. 
Hit the road with Friends of the Earth Melbourne's Nuclear Free Collective as we travel to frontline communities and see how the nuclear industry impacts people. The Radioactive Exposure Tour will run from April 10 to 19 this year. More details on melbournefoe.org.au slash radtour2020 or contact us on radexposuretour at gmail.com. Foe's Nuclear Free Campaign is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to Dirt Radio on 3CR with Megan and M. And it might sound a little strange, but today we are interviewing our co-host and long-term Dirt Radio, Dirt Radio voice, Phil Evans, about the conceptual model that Friends of the Earth uses to describe our community organising, something that we like to call the rhizome. Welcome to the show, Phil. <laughs> it's good to be here. It's uh, a little nerve-wracking to uh, flip the mic and be the guest. <laughs> It's been a while since I've done it. <laughs> well, it's good practice. That's what we're about here at Dirt Radio is building our media skills. So <laughs> we need you trained up on both sides. <laughs> so to start us off, um, let's go back to biology class. Can you tell us what is a rhizome and why are people at Friends of the Earth so keen to identify with it? <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, and just a, a disclaimer, I am not a biologist. I'm going to say I'm also not a philosopher as well, but we will explore some of those concepts today. So um, if listeners aren't familiar, usually when I try to bring up the image of a rhizome, and we do this every week um, with new volunteers and when we're inducting people into the organisation, um, which is a part of my role at Friends of the Earth, um, is we talk about... Uh, um, understanding ourselves through ecological metaphor. Um, so rather than seeing ourselves as a part of the industrialised capitalist machine and living within an entirely human construct, um, as a part of what we do at Friends of the Earth is see that humans are a part of nature. Um, and that goes deep into our philosophy, which we'll get onto in another episode, I reckon, because I can already feel myself being tugged away on another <laughs> little journey. Um, but we talk about um, this idea of the rhizome. So a rhizome is a type of plant or organism that uh, mostly grows underground um, and also um, has a very flat structure in opposition to something like a tree uh, where we see like there's a kind of a central uh, trunk and branch system um, with leaves on the end. If you close your eyes and imagine a tree and then open it and there's a tree in front of you, there's a good chance that it'll look pretty similar. So you think of Plato's cave and the shadow um, forming on the back. Trees have this kind of real like sense of structure and um, what they look like. And you kind of know what you're going to get. Whereas with a rhizome, I think um, it's difficult to see it unless you really delve deep within it. So if you're standing in a garden looking at a bunch of plants um, growing out the top, um, I know in Melbourne, uh, the canna lily, um, which is an example of a rhizomic plant, um, grows in almost every garden around um, the area. And you would think that you'd have several plants in the garden, but lo and behold, Actually, what's happening is an underground tubing root structure is linking a, a set of shoots together. So while it looks like there might be eight plants in the garden, actually, it's just one organism operating in an underground network held together um, by some common DNA growing throughout the garden. So if you pull out only just one of those shoots, it's still there. So, um, and not to think too weedy about it all, um, I like to think give a food example as well. So anyone who's gone to the supermarket and bought ginger, 
um, you know, those little knobbly roots or turmeric as well. Uh, the little knobbly roots, they're the little tubers that grow under st- underground. And if you grew ginger at home, and I'm sure many listeners do, um, then you'll see lots of little shoots pop up in the garden rather than just one central plant. Um, and another example I like to give is a native example um, and one of my favorite flowers, which is the kangaroo paw, which is also a rhizomic uh, plant structure as well. So there's lots and lots and lots of different examples. Um, but the way to think about it is, yeah, to think about those plants that grow underground and have lots of different shoots going up as opposed to one central structure and that's it. Mm, so we're all one and uh, <laughs> you can't knock us down by just picking one flower. Um, but so how does this rhizome translate to our activist and campaign work? Well, that in itself is a very large question. (laughs) Uh, So, I mean, I think um, really what happens is when we go out into communities and people think about their place within society, they feel very alienated, um, especially from people making decisions at the top. Um, That can stifle creativity um, and often lead to like uh, more predictable and standard responses to things. any sort of adaptation or anything can be really slow in the way that people work and uh, the ways that um, traditional organising um, operates often encourages the growth of ego and sometimes brings out the worst in people, which we often see um, manifest in the um, corporate world with like, you know, the rise of the sociopath to the top through hierarchy. Um, so hierarchical organisations are slow to react to changing environments and the bureauc- bureaucracy that exists within them can really stifle um, any sort of action from happening. So knowing that that is happening in the way that we organise um, within our systems, like I was saying before, we really like uh, went to like a more ecological or uh, more <laughs> chaos-based system that allows us to follow energy where it happens. So for many years, um, people may not know, Friends of the Earth has no CEO at the top. Um, so we're a flat organization. Um, we um, often do a lot of our work very underground or out of sight of what happens to uh, mainstream society. I think uh, the uh, gas field free campaign um, that you referred to before, M, is a really good example of that. We didn't go out there waving the Friends of the Earth flag. We went out there very quietly to support and help empower communities to grow themselves. So creating an underground network in order to um, help facilitate a new shoot in a new community. Um, and that is like a kind of twofold street. So not only is it um, the way that uh, we structure our organization um, in that we are a decentralized network of lots of different um, community action groups effectively um, and they come in as our collectives and people might have heard like about the Act on Climate Collective, the River Country Collective, um, Yes to Renewables, etc, etc, etc. So in essence they are kind of like little community groups themselves just held together through the DNA that is Friends of the Earth and that's the way we structure ourselves as an organization but if we flip that on the head as well when we go out to do that work that's the way we do it as well so what we're trying to do is create an underground network that is about supporting and sharing skills ideas and values um, that we think are successful ingredients in campaigning into communities to allow them to create a shoot of their own Um, so they have the autonomy and the structure and and the way that they do it um, and the creativity is really up to them and we saw that a lot in the gas field free campaign whether it be 
um, bangers, <laughs> the Bangash sheep. Um, <laughs> Google it. It's really worth checking out. Um, uh, also, uh, like, you know, tractor signs, um, the knitting nanas, like, which um, happened, like, you know, I think it started up in New South Wales. But, you know, those creative ideas that are allowed to flourish when you go into a community, um, listen to them, um, share just the right number of um, skills and ingredients into the place, which kind of tills the soil enough to allow a shoot to grow. But you continue supporting them all through the way as well. Mm. And um, it's great to push for autonomy and give communities those options, you know, like the benefits, um, as you've talked about, are really clear. Um, but what are some of the challenges that come along with that? And how does Friends of the Earth work to truly support those communities and, um, you know, to help keep people on a path, but without being too, mm. um, too descriptive, I guess? Yeah, and I think that is like a, to go back to that idea of, um, and sorry to get a little bit philosophical, but that that's I d- what this series is about. <laughs> Dive deep. So that idea of like um, Plato's cave again, like you know, all I'm doing is describing the shadow at the moment. So in reality, what is going on is actually a lot messier um, and a lot more difficult to describe and to put a holistic um, label on. And that's because natural systems, and if we think back to the rhizome example, if you go to the shop to buy ginger, no two pieces look the Mm, same. It's not like the banana that's descriptive, you know, like (laughs) by length and curvature. (laughs) Well, you know, where the supermarket (laughs) describes what it looks like. You you don't have a perfect garlic. I'm sorry. Ginger. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. And and in the way, I think um, that's the way that the organising um, kind of uh, brings itself into life as well. So each group will do things in a particular loose and different way, um, but they're held together. And I'm sure we'll probably explore this concept further in, in another episode um, by what we call um, the rules of the swarm or like kind of these like ideas of uh, some of the genomes or the DNA of our existence. Um, so really it's about setting like a, um, a few loose parameters um, in order for people to organise around and then to really just let it happen for itself and see what happens. And we go through this process, another concept I'm sure we'll explore in another episode, of um, action learning, um, which is based on this uh, idea of the Kinefin framework, um, which is also worth Googling if you're a super nerd. Like Kinefin. Can <laughs> you spell that if yeah, we're going to sure. Google it? It's um, C-N-E-F-I-N. So, <laughs> so C-N-E-F-I-N. So it doesn't sound like it sounds. Um, I believe it's a Welsh word. But um, so it's this idea that um, it's really simple to go into a situation and go like, this is how we organise and this is how we do activism. But at Friends of the Earth, we're prepared to step out of, um, for those who already know the Kinefin framework, out of that basic quadrant and step into the complex and sometimes even into like the more complicated or the complicated and the complex areas as well, which is about experimentation. So what works in one community is not always going to work in another, but sometimes you do find that winning formula. So, for example, the way that the Gas Field Free uh, campaign kind of unfurled in itself, um, which was all credit to um, the wonderful Annie Kia up in um, Northern Rivers, who really did like the refining work and really inspired us a lot in terms of understanding the philosophical and um, scientific framework that we find our organising in. Um, 
is to say like, great, well, I can go out and experiment and kind of see what works, what doesn't work. And we dampen down what doesn't work and amplify what is working, uh, which may sound really obvious, but it's really easy in, I think, in activism or advocacy work to just think like, you know, like this happened, I will do tactic X in response because that's easy. (laughs) Mm. Um, What's hard is going through a genuine creative process, which is um, built on relationships and trust with the community to find the creativity that is culturally, socially, and politically appropriate for their area to do. So coming from, I mean, I live and work in Collingwood, um, and I've also lived and worked in Narrabri, northwest New South Wales. But the way that I approach politics and activism obviously has to change appropriately with the cultural context that I find myself in. So it's really about going out and finding and creating those relationships, experimenting with that community and really like a facilitating a process that um, that builds that relationships, builds the trust and allows them the freedom and the confidence to be creative in the space. Um, and then providing the skills as well because people have ideas and often there's reasons why you shouldn't go down that path. So, for example, if uh, someone was to suggest um, a violent approach to something at Friends of the Earth, we practice a non-violent approach um, to our work. And so we would suggest that what would be a, a not necessary way to go. So that's those kind of loose rules that we have in mm. place to help steer a community along what, of what we already know. Mm. But we would encourage them to experiment with the tactics, um, see what went well and go through a process of reflection with them to say like, well, what did work? What didn't work? And how do we amplify what is uh, good about this action and dampen down what is bad. And then what's most important um, in the way that we operate um, in a rhizomatic or a rhizomic way is to um, make sure that action continues. So it's a continuous cycle. So similar to a plant, like if you look at a tree, you can't see it growing. If you watch a rhizome day by day, you'll see new shoots appearing all over the place. Um, not knowing where they're going to pop up next. And that's a really important aspect of the way that we organize in a rhizomatic way is that there is constant action and new things need to happen, new spontaneity, new creativity, um, and it's going to be adaptive um, and really like a... Um, unpredictable in in what's going to happen next. Mm, it's very exciting, and we'll be back after this community service announcement. Underneath the ground at the Olympic Dam mine, there is an old sleepy lizard. BHP is mining right into that lizard named Kulta, and it's not so sleepy anymore. The old frozen lizard. I really know. The lizard returns protestable 2020. Uncle Kev is putting out the call. This is an invitation to all people and protectors of the land and waters to get involved in the creation of Autonomous Zone as we move for peace and justice. BYO your own creative response to the nuclear industry and BHP's water theft. Keep an eye on the Lizard Revenge page on Facebook or check out our website for history and info and updates on the lizardbitesback.net. The Lizard Returns Protestable, the 3rd to the 6th of July, Arabana Country. See you there.
Yeah. A 3CR supporter. Lizards is back. It's yes. very exciting. And definitely check that out if you are free around July. Head out to see some of the ugly underbelly of the uranium industry in so-called Australia. You're on Dirt Radio. This is M. I'm here with my co-host, Megan. And today we are joined in the studio by our other co-host, Phil, who is moonlighting as a guest. <laughs> <laughs> Great to have many you hats, here. Many hats, many hats. <laughs> so today we are, of course, chatting about the rhizome, which is Friends of the Earth's organising model and just kind of talking about some of the deeper theoretical sides of how we do things and why we do them. So we've kind of talked broadly about what the rhizome is, how it's connected to our campaigning and activism, but we haven't really covered the where. So where is this theory placed kind of in a broader structural context and kind of in that deeper philosophical thought? Yeah, sure. So I think uh, really it comes down to um, some of the post-structuralist thinking done by French philosophers um, Deleuze and Guattari. So their seminal work, A Thousand Plateaus, um, was... um, a really like an interesting project that um, set the terms of um, contemporary philosophical debate. So A Thousand Plateaus provides a compelling analysis of social phenomena and offers fresh alternatives for thinking about philosophy and culture. So it's got a radical perspective and provides like this kind of toolbox for nomadic thought or like thought that can wander outside of like those kind of like confines of like a structure that exists in society and holds us like, cause I was thinking outside the box. <laughs> There's easy ways to say things. Hooray. <laughs> um, and has like um, really like uh, being really influential in terms of a lot of the anti-capitalist uh, movement and thinking that we saw like spring up through the nineties with the anti-globalization um, so to called um, movement um, and and really like a, has uh, inspired a lot of like a kind of um, modern anarchist thinking, but also reflected on it as well. And I think it's also important to note that like this kind of organizing has been seen in a lot of indigenous struggles around the world as well. So um, to think out to, oh my God, I'm having like a mental blank. I hate it when that happens out um, in like uh, the Latin America and Central America areas where you're seeing like really creative uh, groups and movements rise up and I'm like killing myself that I can't say the Zapatistas thank you Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, as a great example of like you know like genuine like creative spontaneous um, and emergent like kind of design in the way that uh, they're doing their work so this isn't new stuff and a lot of like um, older activists listen to this and go this is a fresh take on older ideas Um, and it's true that it is Mm. but where I think it like uh, um, differs is that like it is like deeply bound also within that philosophical tape of Friends of the Earth where environmental and social justice are intrinsically linked and goes deep into that idea of replacing uh, humanity back into its place in nature so rather than seeing what we do as unnatural it is a part of the natural systems. Maybe it's just a little bit of self-harm. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to, uh, yeah, it's kind of that sort of cyclical nature of things that we saw in our history podcast where it's like no one's really, uh, everyone's reinventing the wheel. But it's good to kind of have that connection back to uh, our history and mm. putting it into context in the modern day. And we did touch a little bit on some of the kind of rules that, or, you know, things that govern this rhizomic model, which I'm sure have been around for quite some time, but we've put some language towards it recently. So we spoke 
briefly about the rule of the swarm and we will go deeper into some of these concepts later on in this series but just for listeners out there who are coming to this rhizomic idea for the first time like what are some of the main rules that govern the the rhizome Sure. Uh, so, oh, this is a really complicated question. <laughs> a big <laughs> and one. I'm like, so the rhizome itself is like kind of adaptable and able to be taken into any context. So, um, like for example, like the internet can be seen as an example of a rhizomatic kind of structure um, in that it's free, it's crazy, it goes everywhere, it shoots out on a thousand little aspects and there aren't necessarily rules at government, but there are. Mm. (laughs) Um, So what does make a a rhizomatic adaptive system work is it needs to be decentralised in that it doesn't have a centralised place within it. Um, There needs to be self-organising, which I kind of touched on before, like that like idea that like, you know, it's about facilitating a community process to take action. Um, is about giving up control. And that's probably the biggest one that I think that people who look at this system and just see a reframing of community organising or the um, snowflake model for any movement nerds out there, um, is that this is different because it is about giving up control. It's about genuine community autonomy within it. It's about creating a communication commons where there is um, a free flow of information, skills and resources. So really like tapping into like how do we practice good solidarity and share our resources with frontline affected community rather than hoarding them within NGO structure. Um, it has multiple points of entry. So this we could go deep into like eco-feminist principle and like valuing all aspects of labor and things like that. But um, really it's about the fact that you can come into the rhizome from any point. Um, and and take your own kind of steps to do it. And you can also leave at any point as well. So it is really like a social movement. It's adaptive to the landscape and it's spontaneous and creative, as I mentioned as well. So at Friends of the Earth, we got those rules down into the idea that um, environmental and social justice are linked is our guiding principle. We're an anti-patriarchal organisation. We're an anti-capitalist organisation. We practice anti-hierarchy i'm saying so many big words right now but i can see that we're running out of time (laughs) we're an anti-hierarchical organization no bosses and we practice consensus decision making which is about making sure that we gather in all of that creativity and spontaneity and ideas within um the um collective process and we're also anti-oppression because if we and we recognize as well that like, you know, we can't just delete what is happening in wider society within it. And that's why we say anti as well is because it's not because we hate everything. Um, It's because it's a process of like constantly bringing down those oppressive structures like patriarchy and um, capitalism and hierarchy that exist within society. Just because you step in the doors of friends of the earth, they don't stop existing. So they're all processes that we go through and I think we'd have to explore them in another. Mm, (laughs) That might be a good spot to leave it. So thank you very much for taking the time to uh, explain this to us, Phil. And if you are interested in more, Phil runs sessions every Tuesday at 5... Tuesday. Every second Tuesday (laughs) at 5pm going into uh, the rhizome and... Uh, how Friends of the Earth works at our inductions, which is one of the first steps of getting involved. And uh, yep, so this is the first episode for us of the year in a new series uh, where we're going to be taking a deeper dive into some of the organizing models of Friends of the Earth and just give you a bit more context for who exactly we are. Leading on from the rhizome, we're going to jump into a next big concept that kind of helps to define Friends of the Earth in our next show, which is the healthy ecosystems. 
Yay. Yeah. So that one's pretty exciting. I won't I won't give too much away, but make sure you tune in next month to uh, hear a little bit about that. Yes, and of course, if you missed uh, this show and you want to catch up, you can uh, listen back at 3cr.org.au slash dirt radio. And you can also check out our retrospective history series, which we have mentioned uh, on the show today a few times at 3cr.org.au slash acting up. And that's just about all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to the first of our special series here on Dirt Radio at 3CR. Coming up is the Koori Survival Show. And until next time, goodbye. Bye. Bye. Dreaming